Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us today. Well, this segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or reach out to me personally. Well, today we're talking about the hotel industry, the hospitality world. I'm calling the show Hotels 2020. And I don't know if that means the year 2020 or we're going to have 2020 vision. Maybe it's both, right? So, you know, I think the hotel industry is very, very interesting for, for all of us in, in the economy and the commercial real estate world. We all can sort of relate to it. We all use hotels, but also they have daily occupancy. So what happens in the hotel world can sometimes be uh, interesting uh, to the rest of us with what's going on in the business world. Please welcome my first guest. It's Michael Belisario, and he is Senior Research Analyst with Baird, and he's joining us on the phone. Michael, uh, good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. Well, Michael, you've, uh, you have you watch this world very closely, and uh, you, you guys have just had your, your second quarter earnings. You've, you've looked at the market. What are you seeing for performance overall in the hotel industry around the U.S.? I think the simplest way to sum it up is that things are okay, but uh, six months ago, 12 months ago, they were a lot better. Things have slowed. Growth is still positive, but it, on the margin, it's, it's getting tougher to push rate to grow occupancy further. And everything has slowed, and it's just a little bit more challenging today than it was one, two, three quarters ago. Okay. So does that mean to, uh, to us who love numbers in the commercial real estate world that you're seeing uh, occupancy rates creep up a little bit, but not as much, and the same with uh, daily rates? Yeah, so year-to-date, supply and demand have actually been almost equal. So, so occupancy across the U.S. is pretty much flat. The, call it, percent-and-a-half growth we've seen in RevPAR has pretty much been on the, uh, on the rate side. So 2% roughly supply growth, 2% roughly demand growth. So it's, it's, we're in the very low single-digit range right now. Okay. And are you seeing any difference, uh, Michael, in the the performance of the various hotels uh, like limited versus full service versus maybe kind of the resorts and uh, leisure uh, hospitality type properties where we like to go uh, relax. Yeah, we've, we've seen the leisure and luxury resort properties uh, perform much better. And I think the, the main reason for that is the leisure traveler is strong and everyone has a job and everyone wants to travel. Uh, we've seen more of the urban kind of transient or business transient hotels, at least this year, underperform expectations. And I think a lot of that is, is due to you know, CEO confidence and, and business confidence and people's willingness to travel and be a little bit more price sensitive. So yeah, we, we, we've seen the, the divergence widen a little bit, but the leisure traveler still very strong. The business traveler on the margin incrementally softer. Yeah, well, that's interesting because uh, you seem like there's a lot of well, confidence in a lot of the business people I deal with. There's good consumer confidence, but uh, so business travelers, uh, maybe not so much, huh? Yeah, and you, you listen to the news and everyone on TV, right? There, there's always something to worry about. China, interest rates, something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what we have seen is just a, a general reluctance of people to, to travel, uh, especially when it's not needed. It, it certainly feels like the business travel today versus six or 12 months ago, it's, it's, it's on a more, um, uh, you know, the, 
the travel that's being done is done because it has to be done, mm-hmm. and you know that will maybe continue to slow. But I think it, it all it all starts from the top down. What are the CEOs seeing? How are the businesses performing? And when you think about airlift and hotel demand and, and kind of the entertainment bucket of the expense line items, it's, it's one of the first things that gets cut. What about technology, Michael? Is technology impacting it? I mean, there's better technology, better video technology all the time. Is that having an impact on the business traveler? You know, on the business traveler, maybe a little. Uh, you can argue they're maybe booking their rooms a little bit differently. I, I think if you take a step back, technology in the hotel industry, it's really impacted pricing. Uh, you think about consumers, whether leisure or business travelers, they just have more information than they have, uh, have ever had. Uh, you know, all the different apps at our fingertips, the pricing transparency, we have better websites where you can review hotels and compare them. We didn't have that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's just making consumers more price sensitive or maybe just more price conscious. And it's a lot easier to, to switch hotels today and go next door instead because you can see what you're going to get, what the ratings are, what the reviews are. So um, I put Airbnb in there as well in terms of the technology changes. There's just alternative accommodations, VRBO. People have more options, and, the, and technology improvements have enabled all that to occur. Yeah, and it makes sense. A more informed consumer may demand a, a better pricing uh, in their in their stay. And you mentioned Airbnb. What is the impact there? I know they're in the, I guess, early years of it. It was a lot of concern, uh, but it seems like the hotel business has kind of done okay. I mean, it seems like you you tell me, has it really been affected affected by Airbnb? I think the answer is. It's yes, it's, it's hard to prove and pinpoint exactly how much, but you look at demand levels across the U.S. occupancy levels, they're at record highs. Um, you know, would they be higher if Airbnb didn't exist? Sure. Um, but the one thing that's hard to tell is of the however many million nights that are at Airbnb, how many of them are induced nights? How many of them are, are, are new? And that group wouldn't have traveled to Phoenix, Arizona for a weekend uh, if Airbnb didn't exist. So it, it, it's hard to tell, uh, but it's certainly having an impact. And I think the, the biggest thing that's helped hotel owners is the municipalities and, and, and states that have uh, implemented legislation and, and new rules and laws around uh, what you can and can't do. So you've seen a cutback a bit in inventory and the rate of growth slow. Uh, and that has certainly helped uh, hotel owners and operators be able to manage their inventory a little bit better. But uh, on the margin, it hasn't been good for hotels. It, it's impossible to measure, but that, that second derivative ha- has clearly slowed from probably its peak in 2014, 2015 into 2016. That, that was kind of peak Airbnb from a hotel perspective. Okay. You know, from a consumer perspective of my own, the few times I've stayed in Airbnb, it was kind of just okay, and you know, I didn't get that uh, level of expectation that I get from a, from a nice hotel. You kind of you kind of know what to expect, and you're more comfortable with it. Uh, and, and speaking of kind of uh, more interesting places to stay, if you will, uh, the boutique hotel, that's kind of been a growing market, right? What do you see there, Michael? Well, it, it, it's interesting you bring that up because you can you kind of put that in the same category of Airbnb and, and changing customer preferences. 
We've seen the big hotel brands, Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt, they've embraced this. They've introduced new brands, new soft brands, Autograph Collection, Unbound, Curio, uh, to name a few. And it allows owners to keep the property if it has a very unique local feel to it, uh, but to be able to latch on to the the Marriott platform, the reservation system, the the loyalty program, and, and benefit that way. So you, you've seen the brands embrace it. Uh, that segment has grown very quickly for them. And I think in a world from a consumer perspective where you have still very cookie-cutter brands at times and more brands, the independent or independent-like hotel that might be affiliated with a brand you feel like you have a, a much more unique experience, and it's you're not going to you're not going to have the same experience when you go from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, for example, right. example, or to New York. So, um, I, I think that category will continue to grow. Consumer preferences uh, are, are continuing to tilt toward customization and uniqueness, and I, I think that category has legs still. Yeah. Well, again, from a consumer point of view, I recently stayed in a boutique hotel, and uh, I did find the experience nice. Uh, it was kind of taken care of like you'd expect from from a brand, but it was very local, and it was it was very cool. Uh, you could tell before they got in there and renovated it, uh, it might not have been a place I would even wanted to stay. Uh, but uh, when they got through with it, boy, it was, it was really interesting. And, uh, you know, we've had interest rates drop just recently with the Fed dropping their rate. Uh, have you seen that impact the hotel industry, and uh, and what do you see for values uh, uh, trends right now? Yeah, well, it it hasn't helped the hotel REIT stock prices. That's for sure. It, it's helped the the other real estate subsectors much more that are viewed more defensively and and have longer lease duration. You know, the the, the rates going down you know, has hurt ho- hotel stocks more, just given that people assume growth is going to slow and the hotels will get impacted more. But in terms of what we're hearing and seeing, the you know, spreads remain tight, and if anything, debt costs have just gotten 25 or 50 basis points cheaper for private equity buyers that use leverage, and that makes the cash-on-cash returns for them that much more attractive, and that puts them in that much more of an advantageous position when looking to acquire properties or companies. So if anything, the, the lower interest rate environment has, has helped. It's also helped with developers. Costs have continued to rise, but this cost, the the interest cost and the carry there has come down a little bit too. So um, it's still too early to tell what kind of the long-term effects are, but uh, the the low interest rate environment broadly for the last several years has certainly made the higher yields of hotels that much more attractive for some of the levered private equity buyers out there today. Yeah, well, it makes sense. We're talking with Michael Belisario with Baird about the hotel industry. And, Michael, what do you expect moving forward? You know, we have uh, an election coming up. We have tariffs. Or we say coming up in a year, but we have uh, the, the scare of tariffs. Uh, we have an economy that uh, uh, cycle that's uh, been a great 10 years. What's your forecast? What's your crystal ball say about forecast moving forward? And going forward, I think it's going to be a lot more of the same. Slow growth, maybe slightly slower growth. And as we think about what are the upside risks versus the downside risks over maybe the next three to five years, I think the bigger risk is to the downside. It's just when does that happen? And do we have a small pullback or do we have a pretty severe pullback? And I think that's when we talk to investors and management teams, that that's the hardest thing to underwrite is 
not only when does it happen, but what does it look like? And I think everyone still remembers 2008, 2009 pretty clearly, and that doesn't necessarily have to happen again, but slow growth, slower growth going forward, and you know, greater risk to the downside than the upside is how, how we think about the world today. Okay. What do you see, Michael, for new supply, the trend there? And as, as you're talking to uh, people in the hotel world, uh, are they concerned with co uh, construction costs and is that impacting their, their operations or, or their, their, their new supply in the market? Yeah, I think the one silver lining that people have is supply growth is plateauing. It's moderated and we've kind of hit this 2% level and it, it doesn't really seem to be moving too much higher from there. And a lot of that is because projects are bigger, they're taking longer to get done and costs are going up, both materials and labor. So. You know, as long as the economy holds firm and you know, we're, we have a shortage of, of construction workers, uh, you're going to see supply continue to be positive, but it, it's probably not going to tick up from the level where it's at now. And it's more concentrated. It, it, it's in certain urban markets that you might not have seen the same supply last cycle. Uh, and they're bigger projects, too. So it, 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 it depends on the market, but overall for the total U.S., you know, it, it's going to continue to plateau, and if anything, maybe over the next couple of years it ticks down a little bit just because costs keep going up and projects just aren't penciling like they used to. Yeah, that no, makes sense. Well, Michael, before I let you go, where might there be some opportunities right now? Are there any certain markets or, or property types uh, uh, that you see that uh, or might be some opportunities out there? In, in terms of markets, I think one of the most interesting trends it, it kind of relates to the to the tax cuts and where people and where companies are moving. Right, they're moving to more favorable states and cities from a work-life balance, uh, from a from a tax perspective, both, both personal and corporate. So, we, we've seen this move to Florida and and Georgia and kind of the broader southeast into the southwest. And I think. That trend is pretty powerful. It's still early days there because we're only, what, you know, two years into this tax cut. Um, but you know, assuming the tax code stays the same way, I think we'll see that trend uh, continue. You know, more migration from the, the high-tax states like California and New York to more of the uh, better work-life balance and, and tax-friendly states in the southeast and southwest. And I, I think that's a pretty big dem demographic trend. Uh, that as it gains momentum, it's going to be much harder to turn that around if it ever does turn around. Okay. So geographically, that sounds good. What about property type level? Are there opportunities in repositioning some of these uh, hotels or uh, changing brand names? Or you know, where do you see some other types of opportunities? It's, it's interesting. When we talk to people about value add, there's not a lot left to be value added this cycle because it's already been value added. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I, when we think about what the next several years look like, slow top-line growth, challenging expense environment, you know, the properties that have the most upside are the ones that are broken if you can find them, but it's the full-service hotels. It's the ones that have unprofitable restaurants, golf courses that have 36 holes where you could probably slim it down to 18. Uh, the ones that have more optionality that aren't just rooms only product like a, a select service might uh, a select service hotel might be mm -hmm. so th that's where the uh, we see the most value creation opportunity over the next call it, three to five years if, if you're looking to deploy capital just because you're not going to get it on the top line growth and the the costs 
structure is is more challenging today than it uh, has been earlier this cycle. So you got to find the other levers to pull to be able to create value. And a lot of that's coming from non-hotel things outside the rooms. Yeah. Uh, and you get those at more the sprawling luxury resort full service properties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds good and, and uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Michael Belisario, thank you for joining us, sir. Good information as usual. Thanks for having me. If you like more information, check out their website. It is R.W.Baird. That's B-A-I-R-D. And stay with us. We'll have more on the hotel industry, and including uh, some tips for, for buying and selling and for renovation of existing hotels. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by commercialagentsuccess.com. If you're in the commercial real estate brokerage world, you got to check it out. Commercialagentsuccess.com is the ultimate training for commercial brokers. Today we're talking about the hospitality world, hotels. The name of the show is Hotels 2020. Please welcome my next guest. It's Cole Spain. He's VP of the hospitality group at my firm, Bull Realty, headquartered in Atlanta. Cole, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Cole, one of the things that uh, we're often asked by sellers of all types of properties is, you know, what should they do to their uh, properties before they, they sell? And of course, with hotels and, and chains and flags, they a lot of times there's some requirements for, for a PIP, right? A property improvement plan. Um, and when you're advising uh, hotel operators about selling their hotel, should they do the, the PIP right then, right before they sell it, make it fresh, or should they wait and let, let a buyer take care of it? So, Michael, when I'm speaking with owners who are considering selling, I get that question a lot. And obviously, it depends on the market, depends on the situation, the seller, the property itself. But generally speaking, we think it's best to let the next owner complete the PIP. Um, we hear this from regional owner-operators who are looking to buy. We hear this from private equity groups. We hear this from REITs as well. Um, so generally speaking, buyers like to see that upside potential there. You know, there's going to be, there's always going to be something they think they can do better, you know, than the previous seller. That's where they see a lot of value. And generally, the buyer pool for value-add properties is a lot deeper than the, the buyers that are looking for stabilized, you know, income properties. So generally speaking, I would let the next owner do the PIP. Situations where we do see uh, current owners completing the pit before selling is if they have an internal construction group where they can save money by doing the pit themselves. But then generally, they, they want to wait six months to a year after completing it, you know, get some, some proven income because their, their revenues, their, their occupancy is going to be hurt while, while doing that renovation. So again, 
depends on the situation. Yeah, well, that makes sense. What are you seeing out there for values? And when you're talking to hotel owners who are thinking about selling, do they key in a lot on the, on the cap rates that uh, hotels are selling for? They do. And again, depending on the situation, you know, with some of the smaller properties that, that we do deals with, uh, a lot of times you'll use a, a room revenue multiplier. And then on larger deals, you know, it's going to be a cap rate. So I would say that whichever metric you're using, at the end of the day, cap rates or room revenue multipliers are not a determinant of value. They're a derivative of value. And when I say that, what I mean is you really don't know what the cap rate is um, until after the transaction's already happened. And, and so our job is not as appraisers to slap a cap rate on there or room revenue multiplier and say, that's it, that's the value of the property. Our job is to get buyers competing and get buyers to stretch. You know, recently we took a property out to market, a Holiday Inn Express in uh, Louisiana, and I had about 2,142 buyers for that specific property looking for IHG select service in that region of the country. Um, and so we're reaching out to them through phone calls, emails, and direct mail, and getting offers in. And basically, every buyer is different. Every buyer is going to see uh, value in different ways. So a lot of times, it's just what the, the what the property's worth to them. And then we will figure out what the cap rate is after uh, the transaction's complete. It's another argument, I think, for going out unpriced mm -hmm. and letting the market determine what that cap rate's going to be. Yeah, on a large enough property, your buyers, uh, they can underwrite it. They don't need you to tell them uh, what they're going to pay, right? That's right. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Well, how is the market today, Cole? Uh, you know, we just heard Michael Balisario talk about uh, the performance of the market, and it sounds like things are, are going pretty well. Uh, maybe the growth slowed down a little bit, but his outlook was strong. He's mentioning that there's not been uh, an overbuilding uh, of uh, hotels around the country, generally speaking, and, mm -hmm. and construction costs are one of the things that kind of limited that. So is this a buyer's market, a seller's market? What do you see day to day? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. The market's frothy right now. We're seeing some low cap rates mm -hmm. on, on deals that generally wouldn't be as low, mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of capital out there that needs to be placed. There's buyers that are hungry for deals. You know, we were just up in New York at the NYU conference back in June, and everybody was scrambling around because they've gotten other people's money that they need to get placed. And, and there's still deals to be had. There's still transactions being done. Transaction volume has slowed down a little bit, but um, it's still very active. So I would say it's a seller's market, but for buyers, there are still good deals out there. Okay. And I was talking to Michael earlier about boutique hotels and, you know, how those are kind of gaining in popularity because they have that kind of local flavor. If somebody wants to buy or build a, a boutique hotel, I guess you got to get it in the right location that maybe has some flavor, right? Right. Absolutely. So we're seeing them either in leisure markets mm -hmm. or in, you know, downtown not necessarily central business district, but you know, kind of those areas with a, with a nice diverse mix of demand generators, you know, near, near sporting event venues, near a lot of great restaurants, F&B, 
um, but then also close to those commercial uh, demand generators. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really great option for independent hotel owners going with these soft brands. They get access to the vast central reservation system that the uh, major brands have. You know, for example, we sold the Peary Hotel in downtown Salt Lake, very vibrant, growing area, young crowds. You know, you got a lot of millennials who love the soft brands. Um, and it was an Ascend collection by choice, and they're actually converting, converting it to a tapestry by Hilton. So, you know, it's a really great option, and I think there's going to be a lot of growth in that sector. Yeah, it seems like a great opportunity to, to improve performance. And as, uh, you know, everybody wants that value add, right? And as you mentioned, uh, find a way to, to run it better. And that, that seems to be, uh, and maybe one of the opportunities to do that. And is that something that also uh, developers are looking to, to build a new supply and boutique, or is that usually somebody renovating an older property? You know, I think it started off more of the, the older properties, renovating them. But now we're seeing, you know, curios and autographs being built ground up. And that was the plan all along. I just think uh, the demand is, is so strong there. And then also, if you have a market where, you know, there's already in a loft by Marriott or there's it's already got a lot of the, the name brands there, it's just another option for them. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, that sounds good. Well, Cole. You obviously know a lot about hotels. Can you get me a good one where I, I can buy, where I can scuba dive every day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, we're working on, uh, I had a phone call earlier. So okay. I, you I had think, a good one for me. Yeah. All right, Cole, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. All right, and thank you for joining us around the country or around the world. And we appreciate your comments and connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.